0: Welcome back to the Blue Line Millennial Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin. With me today is Andrew, federal law enforcement officer, basically badass Captain America. You're like the second Captain America we've had on the show, man, and maker of really cool gear. Also a drinker of whiskey, man after my own heart. Andrew, how are you tonight? Uh, Pretty good. How about yourself? Oh, not too bad, man. I'm on call tonight. So for the listener, if I do get called out because somebody wants to do some dumb shit you'll just get two episodes out of it because I'll bring Andrew back on a night that I'm not on call and he and I'll both drink whiskey and then we'll right. just see how interesting the night gets. Right. Um, fair warning. I like to hug people. So <laughs> <laughs> Andrew, before we start, man, I like to give a shout out to a nonprofit every episode, man. And I understand you want to talk about the Brian Terry foundation.
1: Yeah. The Brian Terry foundation. And um, actually I'm going to be donating some equipment to the uh, upcoming danger zone auction. Which uh, everybody knows the zone of danger from Archer. Um, if you look up the danger zone auction, you'll see that there's a number of companies that are donating a lot of really badass. There's gear, there's knives, there's uh, guns, there's all sorts of cool stuff, and um, it's going to the Brian Terry Foundation. And that. Uh, oh, shit,
0: sorry. No, it could be hard to talk about, man. I. I uh, did not know Brian. That was long before I ever got into into law enforcement. Uh, I've had the opportunity to speak with some folks who met him. So I never met him.
1: Um, he he uh, actually died just before I entered on duty. Uh, I remember I was with my girlfriend at the time, and we were getting some coffee, and I looked up at the TV, and and I saw that uh, you know he had been killed out there um, by an ogalit or just north of Nogales. And uh I was like, well, shit, that's that's what I'm about to go do. So yeah, it was uh just sort of a like it really brought it home like the reality, like, you know, this is this is not a game and you're about to undertake something right. you know, real serious where, you know, sometimes they play for keeps. So Yeah, there's uh
0: there's there's something to uh to be said for making sure that we we live up to the legacy that Brian left, and every every you know fallen law enforcement officer. Uh, there's three three guys that I've gotten to talk to. Uh, two of them were in the academy, and one of them was in uh, uh, a college class prior to me going in. and And with the stories that that they'd had of the injuries that they'd sustained and the loss that they had seen, um, I think it's a very important if you're going to go into this career of law enforcement, you need to know what the fuck is up? Like you, you, right. you've got to know what you're getting into and what you're getting your family into. Mm-hmm. Um, and like you said, this, this isn't a game, man. It's not, it's not cops and robbers anymore. Um, there's a, uh, I can't remember the name of the, the Facebook page, but they've got a really good hashtag that, uh, Mayberry is a myth. Uh, the rural badge. That's it. Yeah. The, the rural, rural badge, badge on yeah. Facebook. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, uh, and that, that is extremely true. Those of you going into small agencies don't, don't think that because you know you were the high school football star and now you're the deputy of the town that everybody in that town is going to be cool with you like it these these streets will change that no matter if if you patrol you know out in the desert if you patrol up in the forests as a, a game warden or you're out you know a county or on a highway or whatever the case may be uh, you gotta you gotta understand what you're getting yourself into and and uh, and this is real and try and find somebody I always say reach out to you know reach out to somebody you trust. If you don't know anybody in law enforcement, send, send me a message. Um, we'll get Andrew's social media up for everybody. You can probably send him a message as well, but it's important to to get somebody who's not going to bullshit you about what you're getting into. Yeah. Yeah. So
1: on that, on that note of uh rural law enforcement, I will I'm not going to identify the, the agency that I work with exactly. Um, but I will go so far as to say that, uh, Bread and butter is interdiction of persons and or illicit substances in rural, very remote areas. So that's a, uh, it, it's a unique environment. You know, I've listened to a couple of your podcasts uh, where you're talking about, you know, you're like, you're upset if your backup's two minutes away. Right. Like, <laughs> like I, I wish, <laughs> I wish, you know. So.
0: Yeah, I've had a, uh, we've got a, a, a patrol sergeant who had started out on a, uh with a, a local uh, reservation uh, police department and he always he, he even though he's worked for our agency for a uh, better part of 20 years he always laughs when we're sitting there like you know, hey, yeah, we'll take a backup officer and then thirty seconds later, so hey, where's my backup officer at? And he's like, <laughs> You have no idea what life is actually like. When you're backup officer, you're one of five officers. Like for you're back
1: f- my backup is still in muster, so <laughs> <laughs> Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. My my backup officer hasn't actually woken up yet. Right. So yeah, a buddy of mine was telling me I think Sholo up north has maybe three officers on it at any given time. And if somebody's on vacation and somebody's out sick, it's you. Mm-hmm. Like, oh yeah. I kudos Kudos to you, uh, and kudos to uh, to everybody who works in those rural areas. Because I gotta, I gotta hand it to you. Like, I make a traffic stop, and I've got nine units with me. Right. Like, <laughs> it's it's just a different, a completely different world, man. Um, well, it, for those of you listening, do check out the Brian Terry Foundation. Uh, it is near and dear to the hearts of law enforcement officers, uh, definitely within the state of Arizona. Uh, uh, but and uh, not to dive into. The politics and the right-wrong of it, but certainly officers who work in border states, I think, all know the name of Brian Terry, especially officers who have to work closer to the border and are more uh, more prone to, to some of the violence that occurs down there. It does happen. Don't, you know, don't let the, the jackasses sitting in some new studio in New York City tell you what does and does not happen on our border. Plain and simple. If you've never fucking seen it, don't talk about it. Like, I was... I was in a doctor's office today, and I would never imagine to tell that guy right. how to do his job. So let's all just respect that maybe we each know what we're talking about to a certain extent. I'm not going to tell an airline pilot how to fly. Mm-hmm. Just don't tell me what's up with uh, with with what we see uh, in our line of work. Uh, Andrew, if you could have a drink with anybody, who would it be, and what are you drinking?
1: So... I would have to make uh, I would have to make it two people, and um, that would be my great uncle George Elmer Larkin, and uh, my dad's dad, my grandpa. Um, and of course, they're they're both Kentucky boys, so we would sip on bourbon, probably sitting on Pat back porch. And uh, <clears throat> I never met my great uncle George, but he was the engineer gunner on plane number ten of the Doolittle raid.
0: Holy shit! That's quite a fucking legacy in and of yeah, itself, right, right
1: there. Um, unfortunately, he was killed shortly thereafter in a B twenty five crash in India. So, like I said, I never got a chance to meet him. Never got a chance to talk to him, hear him tell the story. And um, I would ask him, like I would ask him, of course, what happened that day. But you know, I've I've done my research into the Doolittle Raid, and um, his plane, plane number ten, was uh, intercepted while they're over Japan. Uh, the sources vary as far as, you know, whether or not they actually splashed a fighter or two fighters or no fighters. Um, and I managed to dig up his journal online. It's like archived online. And uh, I was reading through it, and he was talking about how when the interceptors came in, like I said, he was an engineer gunner. Uh, he was up in the ball turret, and uh, his uh, the pilot opened it up, dove for the deck to just to get away from him. And he was talking about how... Uh, that caused the, the the belt ammo to like rise out of the can, and get tangled or whatever. So he wasn't able to immediately shoot. And then in his journal he says, uh, "Well, I got the gun back operational and used it." Like, <laughs> what do you what <laughs> do you mean <laughs> to, used it? Like, true to, to
0: form of the Greatest Generation, like, oh, exactly. Uh, we we uh, yeah, I I uh, walked across a beach today. The summary of the Normandy landings, right? Exactly. <laughs> like,
1: and I used it. Like, well, tell me about that, you know? And um, like to that point. I would then turn to my grandpa and be like, so what's up with these two bronze stars that nobody knew about. Right. At my grandfather's funeral, all of us found out that he he had two bronze stars from a service in North African Italy. Um, I guess his brother knew and provided that information for the obituary, but nobody in the family knows the story, you know, um, growing up as he grew older and, uh, I kind of realized that my time was limited with him. I would ask him like, Hey, Papa, you know, tell us some stories and getting like short little one-liners, yeah, you know, like yeah. he, you know, and, and both of them obviously didn't make a big deal. I was just something they went and did, you know, they, they saved the world and then just went back to their lives. And, uh, I would, I would love the opportunity to, to get those stories, uh, cause now they're lost forever.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's that's something that uh, uh, I, I that resonates with me a lot, man. Uh, those of you who don't know about the Doolittle Raid, I can't. Did they take? I can't remember if they took it off from the wasp or the hornet. The hornet. The hornet. Okay. Um, but you've got uh, a whole bunch of army bombers somewhere. They have no business being, which is on the flight deck of an aircraft carrier. They get uh, spotted. Basically, the Imperial Japanese Navy had had uh, like scout boats or right. what have you or out the in the water, uh, the pickets. And uh, and the the carrier group was, was spotted. Uh, and so they had to take off a whole lot sooner than they... I think it was like 400 miles. 400 miles. Um, and these these bombers were, I mean, broomsticks for tail guns, every last can of fuel that they can squeeze into so those you, things. So you read up on it. You're like, oh, you're yeah. real familiar with it. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm a huge nerd for <laughs> uh, for aviation. And that all started... Uh, I, I recently saw a meme that says when you turn 35, which I'm not 35 yet. I'm only 30. Um, I'm sure that'll that, sooner than you. think. Uh, if, yep, it'll smack me in the ass before too long. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, I read it was like when you turn 35, you either start smoking various meats or you learn an inordinate amount of information about World War Two. And I've been learning about World War Two since I was like seven. I was that weird kid that was always like reading those books. Uh, but uh, just got recently kind of uh, piqued my interest again. Uh Shout out to the Commemorative Air Force Museum in Mesa. Have you been up there? No. So they've got a B twenty five J Mitchell sitting out on. They do. They do. Yeah, and it's right. sitting out on the out on the the pad out in front of their hangar uh, up at Falcon Field in Mesa, um, and you can walk you can walk all the way around it, and you can walk up under it, and they've got the you know fake like the the inert uh, bombs in the bomb mm-hmm. rack, just like one or two of them, just to show you like, hey, this is how they were laid out. But the bomb bay doors are signed. And some of the signatures on there uh, say, you know, name, rank, and what plane they were on for the Doolittle raid, because that awesome. that Mitchell has traveled around the country, and it's been obviously it's been flying for a hell of a long right. time, and so these veterans have, you know, in one way shape was it
1: was it actually one of the ones that was on the I know okay. I don't th- I
0: I think it's just it I say just a B twenty five Mitchell you know uh, that's the other funny thing is you look at these aircraft and we you know we had General Electric and Ford and you know general motors churning out aircraft by the thousands right and there's like four left Mm -hmm. you know 70 or 80 years later but uh yeah if you get definitely man if you get the chance to head up there especially with your connection to it, i
1: did not know that i did not know that i'll definitely have to go up and check that out yeah but i I gotta say i'm i'm kind of impressed that that you're so familiar with the dealer raid like one of the things that's always miffed me it's uh it always seems like a footnote, right? Like they, they, it, it's in Pearl Harbor, the movie, right. And it's in, it was, it was in midway. It's in midway. Yep. Yeah. But it's just like this footnote and they, they don't ever do it justice cause it was, it was absolutely crazy, you know, uh, because they had to launch early. None of them ever made it to their landings. So they all had a ditch over the China sea and you know, they just went ahead and did it anyway. Like guys, we don't, we don't have enough gas to bomb Japan and then fly onto China, but you know, we're just going to power through.
0: Yeah. And, and it was, again, I mean, it was an all volunteer, like even up to that moment, like right before you getting into the plane, like, Hey guys, we're not going to make it back to this one. And everybody was like, yeah, fuck it. Sounds good. Let's just go do this. (laughs) It was, it was such a, uh, um, that while the, the true, like strategic damage was minimal, um, the, uh, uh, well, I, yeah, the, the idea that the that idea that, you, that it yeah. occurred, right. The, the morale boost right. or the, mor- and, or, you know, tanking the morale of it, nobody had attacked the Japanese homeland in centuries. Correct. Um, and, and, and they thought it
1: was impossible. Like there, right. was, there was like a superstition that it was impossible and they ended up like redeploying more forces closer to home, which ultimately contributed to victories in the Pacific later on.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You look at the, you look at world war two as a whole, um, And I think, you know, I don't want to say especially in the Pacific. I'm drawn to the European theater because that's where my grandfather served um, as a member of the British Army. Um, But you look at at just World War II in general, how many times we should have lost. Mm -hmm. It's like a series of very, very lucky occurrences that led us to where we are today. Yeah. uh, With, you know, with... uh, the allies having had victory uh, in world war two. I'm going to need to start a whole nother podcast about world war two, man. (laughs) just, it'll just be you and me just sitting here sipping bourbon talking about all the weird things that occurred in world war two. Yeah, no, we could dive down that certainly um, those, if you're listening to this, if you have the opportunity to, to meet some of these veterans, they are so few and far between now Uh, time, time, uh, you know, time is a very cruel mistress. Um, It, 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 Gives and it takes away, and it does it really without giving a shit. Um, I was lucky enough to uh, meet a B seventeen pilot down at um, uh, down in Tucson at the Pima Air and Space Mm -hmm. Museum, Uh, and he's just just you know little old ninety some odd year old guy standing in front of this B seventeen and dude, I felt like a kid again. Like I was ready to just sit cross legged on the floor and just, just let him regale me, uh, with, with his, uh, with his tails. My buddy Brent actually had, uh, we had his oldest daughter with us. Uh, and she's like nine or 10, I'm going to get a text message from Brent as soon as this airs. And he's gonna be like, you dumbass!" Um, <laughs> but he, I was extremely, uh, proud and impressed by him because he was told his daughter, like, Hey, you need to go up and thank this man. Like he, you're at, especially at your, at your age, you're not going to have the opportunity to sit and talk right. to these people. Um, like my grandmother survived the bombing of London. Um, I never got to meet my grandfather. Uh, but but similar to you know the snippets that you get, right? Those are the same snippets my dad got that you know, hey, hey, pop, what'd you do in the war? And my grandfather would tell my dad, like, uh, I was a Bren machine gunner and I was in North Africa and Sicily. Uh, yeah. And that was the end of it. Right. Like just and even the family members that I have back in England that that are older, even they don't know a whole hell of a lot Mm -hmm. about about that service. Um, uh, I I would imagine, you know, my grandmother maybe knows a little bit more, but uh, she's 95. When I have the opportunity to talk to her and she's in a care home now, like I, I sit and I listen right? Because you, you have to really appreciate the opportunity that you have, uh, have before you. So get out there, talk to your veterans, talk to the people who were there, um, and just truly appreciate what they did for us. And it's, you know, not just, certainly not just World War II, the Vietnam generation, God only knows, you know, what they experienced when they came home and, and the, you know, complete and utter hatred that they had to experience on return from Vietnam. Um, and, and I'm happy to see now that, you know, you see a guy with a Vietnam veteran hat on and people are walking up to him and saying, thank you. And, and better late than never, I guess, but definitely take the opportunities that you have, take the time and sit and talk with these folks and, and just get a, get a taste for what, what it was like for them. Um, we, we dove off on a tangent and I, right? I, I loved that every yeah. second of it, man, by all means. Well, yeah, here
1: you I, I'm thinking like, I'm, I'm sitting like two or three more comments that, Oh, well, send mi- it. Mi- mi- well, okay. So, so the first one I was gonna ask you—you you mentioned the B seventeen pilot. I'm like, oh man, like I, I cannot wait for that Steven Spielberg show to drop. The, I don't, I don't know if it's still in like uh, production limbo or whatever, but they've renamed that- it. Cause it's no longer the mighty eighth. It's, it's like no it's longer. The, it's
0: it's, I can't even remember what the hell it's called now. Uh, but it's no longer the mighty eight. It's, uh, uh, it's in the same vein. It's the same. I mean, it's Playtone productions. It's Steven Spielberg right. and it's Tom Hanks,
1: which so, you know, they're going to do They're They're, they're going to do it justice and they're going
0: to do it justice. It's it's in the same vein as band of brothers in the Pacific. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you go back to 1998 with from the earth to the moon, if you're interested in the Apollo program, that's an excellent series. Um, uh, yeah, I, I sincerely hope that they come out with that because they first came out with the commercial for that in, like, 2013 or I something I saw like it, that.
1: and I was like I, – I I geeked out. I was like, this is going to be awesome. Yeah. You know, yeah. because, I mean, that's – it's uh, it's kind of mind-blowing to think about how, how even physically difficult it was to do what they did because, you know, they didn't have pressurized cockpits. They were just – they're freezing their balls mm-hmm. off. You know, they're just getting – rounds through the plane or whatever and um like it, it just it, i mean it
0: must have been a hellacious experience well like and they, it's, they, it's they powered through fucking loud right mm-hmm. with four of these massive engines you've got what twelve fifty cal machine guns going off probably all damn near at the same time and if right. you're in um what they called the coffin corner that was the you flew in a box formation because that just made sense during a daylight bombing operation to just <laughs> fly in a square, you know, do what you got to do, I guess. Um, but if you flew coffin corner, you had a higher chance. Mm-hmm. They called it the coffin corner for a, for a reason. You you were gonna you were gonna die. Yeah. Like your plane was going down. But yeah, you read about these these guys who flew these planes, and their their heated electrical suits would either fail or catch on fire. Mm-hmm. That neither of those sound appealing to me. (laughs) Um, And they're up there with their fur-lined coats, and it's like negative 40 degrees outside because, A, Europe's not the warmest place on earth to begin with, and you're flying at, you know, 17,000 feet, uh, you know, right at the edge where you won't pass out from oxygen deprivation. Um, uh, And and some of the aircraft were, I, I think, at some point in time equipped with oxygen tanks, but your oxygen tanks would would lock up and you know things would just break and yeah you just had to be like all right well uh i don't want to die today so i guess I just need to nut up and deal with this right. like yeah it's it's insanity what they went through and i mean these b-17s coming back with half a vertical stabilizer gone the aircraft cut <laughs> right. into, into 14 pieces you know it's being held together by it's that scene in captain america where he's holding on to the building and the mm-hmm. helicopter right. and you've got half a german me 109 stuck in the stuck plane in the and plane you're like round. well i have franz is coming with us so uh, i mean maybe make him an extra cup of tea when we land back at land back in kent england or whatever but yeah it's absolute insanity uh, the more you learn about it the more you just shake your head and i i'm currently working my way uh for about the past six months or so learning about the long-range desert group mm-hmm. um, which given what you do you may find fairly intriguing it's like Hey, here's an idea, guys. All this all this desert that's never been charted before because people die. Right. We're going to take some Dodge pickup trucks. We're going to outfit them with brand new better radiators and a bunch of machine guns. And then we're going to help the SAS to raid airfields. And we're going to do this without any support whatsoever. Um, now that to me sounds like a party, but <laughs> yeah, you're like, that's actually just, that's a Wednesday. Like we've <laughs> at least, I mean, I have air conditioning most of the time, right. but and four wheel drive, whereas these guys are, you know, getting stuck in soft sand. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it was, it's just crazy. And then you go back to world war one with Lawrence of Arabia and it's, similar in that, Hey, we're going to go out into this desert, but I don't even have a Dodge truck. I have a camel. Right. And some oranges because the oranges were the only things that didn't go bad. Like let's go bomb some railroads. Oh, and these people, I don't speak the same language as them, but we're going to make it work one way or another. (laughs) So, yeah. And, and then the other thing
1: that I thought of, like we were talking, you mentioned that, um, you know, your grandmother lived through the blitz and, uh, one of, one of my favorite nonfiction audiobooks to listen to them driving around to and from on you know at work is um sebastian junger's tribe and he talked yeah. to, he talked to you, you've heard listen i've to got, got the book upstairs yeah. i read it yeah, yeah. so when you, when you talked about the blitz and just sort of how everybody like pulled together and mental illness just like disappeared because people had purpose and everybody had a role in society like that was all that was all incredibly fascinating but also i i guess i never really had a full. Appreciation just how horrific and how devastating the blitz was it just blew me away when i started to do more research and after you know hearing him talk about you know like all of metropolitan london having to live in in the subway tunnels yep. for d- days weeks months you know um but yeah so let's uh put a pin in those we can come back and well, yeah, I mean, all that. So and move on, move on to the the, the, law, the law enforcement <laughs> part of the
0: podcast. <laughs> it, no, but it's I mean, it's uh, it is crazy to think about like, yeah, you know, hey, these these if you've never been to London, these underground tunnels are sometimes a couple hundred feet below the surface and, you know, sometimes. 30 or 40 feet. I mean, when they initially did them cut and cover, it was, Hey, we're going to evict all these people. We're going to knock their houses down. We're going to dig a trench, stick a tunnel in there and then cover the trench back up. But they got deeper and deeper. And that was the only safe place for all of metropolitan London. You look at how expansive of a city that is. Um, that was the only safe place for them to get to my, my family generally all lived. Uh, I mean, we're, we're all from Kent, which is sort of Southeast of London. Mm -hmm. Um, but they had to dig bomb shelters into their yards. Right. And that was just like, yeah, well, we'll move the potato garden over there. And, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, you know, we'll just have to hopefully not die here. My grandmother, um, she, I, she got me a book um, called, I think it's called Kent at war and it's mostly pictures, uh, which was good. Cause I think I was like 13 when she gave it to me. Um, but in that book, there's their uh, like their, their version of EOD or explosive ordinance disposal uh, like taking away a German bomb and she circled her fucking house. Right. It's in this image right next to this German, you know, like 500 pound or whatever bomb. Like, well, I almost didn't exist. Exactly. Like that's, <laughs> that's, that's that's insanity. Yeah, uh, yeah no, we, yeah, dude, we can, we can go on that all day. Go down the just, rabbit hole. Right? We can go down the absolute rabbit hole with that um, uh, to, as you said, to maybe steer back towards the, uh, the law enforcement. Um, uh, what was it that drove you into this wild woolly and crazy career? So
1: kind of, kind of ironic for the, the, the field that I ended up in, like all, even through the first couple of years of college, I, I actually thought I was going to go into seminary. Okay, um, I was, I was getting a philosophy degree. I actually ended up getting my, my bachelor's degree in philosophy, but, um, partway through, I realized that that wasn't my calling. And, um, kind of scrambling like i need to come up with a you know like a a life plan a career here and i've got you know two years left in college you know so at that point i'd always kind of had a lifelong interest in um the military and to kick an ass taking names that kind of thing um so i i done some research into the military but uh and looked at OCS and different things like that, but with with that sort of life change, I realized like, well, I eventually want to have a family and uh, I didn't necessarily want the military, like the career military life for my family, you know, picking up and moving or whatever. So at the same time, I'm like, well, I definitely consider law enforcement, but um man, I don't don't want to do paperwork. I don't want to do <laughs> I don't want to do I don't I don't want to do domestics like I really don't. Um so I was like well, let, let, let me start googling around. Um searching around see if there's there's something in between, you know. Um and I think at one point I I googled paramilitary organization or paramilitary law enforcement or whatever and then my just came up. I'm like, "Oh yeah, let me, you know, started uh, looking into that and um, it ended up working out, but uh, I literally put all my eggs in that basket. Just, um, I did not apply anywhere else, um, so it was a long process. Uh, it still is um, for me. It took two years. Some some of my classmates through the academy it was it was shorter, but you know it's a long process to get on to work for Uncle Sam. And um, I went and you know I just did odd jobs in between college and the time i eod'd um i worked on a farm i worked at chipotle i can still make oh many. hell yeah i can still make <laughs> i i still have the guac re- uh, recipe memorized good now. man good man but um, we're,
0: we're, you and i are going to be good friends man yeah, i exactly. do i spend uh maybe a little bit too much time at chipotle <laughs> so
1: well down where down where i work like if you want to find someone in a uniform you go to the chipotle man like there's, there's, there's always somebody. I swear. I think that's,
0: though. that's, just like a long standing uh, I think the safest restaurants to eat at are probably Chipotle's. And then if you're on the West coast in and out, I feel like you walk into an in and out, you're always going to see a uniform in an yeah. in and out.
1: Well, and you know, sad to say, I think the popularity for both of those is you can see the food being made. Yes. Like, you know, that no, you you know, you're not getting any yep. you know, special sauce or you don't have that ask them to hold the spit you don't have to do the uh yeah you don't have to (laughs) do that hey this look like
0: spit to you (laughs) yeah right um
1: so yeah i did that uh you know bounced around between chops like I'm, you know i mean i'm in the back cutting peppers and onions i'm like come on man let's let's go let's get this let's get this background done let's get the you know let's go finally it came through and um I just uh, I stuck with it, you know. I mean, every now and then I kind of get the 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 roving eye looking Mm -hmm. around, and um, but at the core of it, I get paid damn good money to play hide and seek in the desert.
0: Um, And what more could you want, right? Kid at heart, man. You
1: know, and kind of kind of did that thing where I didn't want to didn't want to do paperwork. You know, I mean, we still end up doing paperwork too, but uh, you know, the, the job is. Fairly straightforward at its core. Of course, when I was applying, I thought, well, you know, okay, it's uh, it seems like a fairly straightforward mission. How political could it be? Well, <laughs> <laughs> you know, fast forward ten years, it's like, geez. But um,
0: like this, that at comment its, didn't at age it, well. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly.
1: So, but at its core, you know, I'm I'm driving off-road trucks, riding ATVs just chasing people through the desert. And there's times when I have to remind myself, like, this is what the job is. It's not about, you know, the political shitstorm. It's not about, you know, whatever gripes I may have with the agency at its core. Like, I I get to do on a daily basis just the most essential law enforcement task is catch people who are breaking the law.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, when you you shake it down to its core people break laws yeah we stop them yeah that is that's it uh i am i am uh learning a, a about the paperwork uh again hashtag detective life <laughs> i printed off a report to send to another agency and it was 88 pages long and that didn't include any search warrants that was just narrative text yeah uh, i have never written a paper that long in my life to include college so right. You know, you're not in uh, in your CRJ 100 class writing an 88 page paper <laughs> on, uh, you know, Pelian principles or anything like that. Uh, you you'd said that uh, you were going through uh, a seminary initially. How has uh, I I mean, tell tell me more about that.
1: So I, I hadn't actually started with the seminary. Um, I was uh, I'm Catholic, and to to go through the the whole thing it's it's eight years. You got to do uh, four years to get your bachelor's, and then like the, the seminary portion was like another four years. Um, and I was just working through, and like that's what I thought I had done, so or what I was going to do. So I ended up not really uh, losing any time there because I still got my bachelor's out of it. And you know, a lot of people will you know talk shit about a liberal arts degree, but I went to, I went to a, a, a very good classical liberal arts college and um i learned a lot of things that that still benefit me to today just in terms of um well one of one of the things i learned how to write and learn how to write real well um so and my reports may not be 88 pages but <laughs> i don't like my reports yeah. being 88 pages just <laughs> let's just get that one
0: out of the way it's just not, not something that can be helped <laughs>
1: yeah i can you know I, I can put together a pretty decent report and you know not, not really get a kickback um but, uh, you know, some of the other things are just, um, you know, life principles and uh, I liken it to the the, phil- the philosophical background that I got. I liken it to being like a, a general well-rounded athlete, you know, so the, the so someone with this sort of background, they, they kind of learn to think cr- critically and. To, to, to really seek understanding right that um, that wisdom as opposed to just like the technical knowledge the science and um, that's really enabled me to to be a quick learner and I can go and pick up a lot of different specialized information internalize it and, and absorb it and then use it on the job so that's that's actually been incredibly helpful
0: well yeah I mean critical to to be able to like you said, internalizing information—it's it. one thing. You okay? I I see this. Oh, okay, then it's gone. Mm-hmm. But to say, okay, I see this. I see that car has, you know, one one hubcap missing and a dent on the left door. And then, holy shit! The next day, here's a, an ATL or an attempt to locate for a, uh, I don't know, a robbery suspect. And like, oh, uh, hey, like I saw that. Or even to be able to have a conversation with somebody, maybe one of your frequent flyers, as you. I don't know about where you are, but where I, you know, where I'm out right. in the city, like, you know, you start to know just no addresses, but because you've been able to internalize information, you know what, what's worked in the past, what hasn't right. worked in the past, and you know how to better navigate those waters that you're about mm-hmm. to, to, you know, tread through basically.
1: Yeah. And one of the, one of the classes I took was, um, you know, sort of a, the philosophy of psychology and, uh, one of the benefits that's actually been in- incredibly beneficial because it just gives you like a very fun or very rudimentary understanding and just how people tick, you know, and then you you start to have a conversation and then you realize, okay, maybe maybe this is what is going on with this person. And then you can, you can either word your request or demand in a specific way, or you can realize like, okay, you know, this person's got um, this challenge or this motivation. And then uh, it really helps you just to be able to adjust on the fly Knowing a little bit about how people tick, um, one of the you know I, I say that you know we mostly chase people through the desert, but um, eventually they get in cars too, and we've got we've got a crew for that, and uh, I spent some time on that, and that involved um, a lot of trying to coax people into giving up the the coordinators and you know the people higher up the food chain or whatever, and um, that's where that kind of came into play, you know, understanding that most of these people out here they're just looking they're just looking to to earn cuz they've got bigger problems at home and you know treating them treating them in the same way that you would treat the guy three levels above isn't necessarily going to be productive and you just sort of understand what's going on by the way the they're talking the way they're acting and uh, yeah that's been really beneficial
0: yeah I, absolutely i mean when when you're out there and you're contacting you know, whomever it may be, listen to what they're saying, um, A, because you, you want that information, but you want to know about them as well, because as you've said, that's going to help you maybe shift your course a little bit, right, to to be able to better communicate with that person and figure out, like, again, you, you hit the nail on the head, what's, what's their motivation, what's their draw, you know, if you've got somebody, again, to take it back into, like, City cop life or, I mean, anybody with a Walmart in their precinct uh, or district or however you're, you know, your beat, however your police uh, agency is is divided. Um, you get somebody stealing baby formula. Mm-hmm. Okay, are they stealing it to then go and resell it so that they can recoup the benefits of that? Or are they stealing it because it's a dad who's desperate who doesn't have, like, in his mind, he has nothing else that he can right. do um are you going to interact with those people the exact same Absolutely. way? Yeah, you know, yeah. hell no. Like like you're, you know, you you can you may not be able to I I'm going to get on my my pedestal for a minute. If you're talking to somebody who is leading a life and where they're they're fighting some sort of addiction, they've got a heroin needle in their arm, they are selling parts of themselves, they are stealing to get by, not stealing to buy narcotics, not stealing to, you know, do something for a, not stealing for a greater, or I should say maybe a worse cause down the line, uh, but they're stealing because they've truly got no other option. Unless you've been there, don't tell that person, oh, I understand. Cause right. You don't. That was a lesson that I learned early on. I I honestly don't know who taught me that. I can't remember. uh, Whoever it was, I would say they're fairly wise human beings, but you can try to empathize Mm -hmm. with those people. But if you just, uh, it's that saying, right, you walk around like a hammer and everything's a nail. Correct. But you've really, especially in our job, you've got to be the entire toolbox. Mm -hmm. So that's, high horse. Uh, you know, pedestal, whatever you <laughs> want to call it. I've come down from it now. Don't fucking tell people you understand if you don't, right? Like, if you sit across from somebody who's just been sexually assaulted, don't let those words leave your mouth. Don't, don't you dare say, I understand. Mm-hmm. Because you will have a victim at one point in time or a suspect in, you know, a shoplift or whatever. You will get one person who looks you square in the eye and goes, No, you don't. No, you don't. And what are you going to say at that? But you're going to look like the biggest jackass on the planet, right? So, that's, that's my little spiel for those of you already in law enforcement, for those of you going into law enforcement, hell, if you're in sales, uh, whatever the case may be, I'm not the next Jocko with echelon front or anything like that, but, uh, that's my little, my little free lesson. There's your free college class for the day, uh, dear listeners. Um, so you, you ultimately decide, uh, to, to get into law enforcement, um, with, uh, you know, you got that different family life uh, dynamic than maybe mm-hmm. you would in the military, Then certainly than you would in the military. Um, that's something that that I can, again, I can resonate with. That was, I feel like a lot of people uh, in law enforcement at one point in time were probably leaning towards, hey, maybe I'll go into the military. Uh, I had, It had just come up in conversation with my wife two or three nights ago where I'd asked her, you know, like, hey, I was, you know, I was going to go through R O T C when we started dating and go and be an air force officer and uh i do i appreciate a lot of things about my wife one of them is that she and i can talk and be honest with each other and she looked at me and, and we both kind of agreed like would we even be here right now would i have my son like would i be in right. you know this this dream beautiful house in this nice neighborhood like would, would i have these things uh, I, I don't know um mm-hmm. i'm glad that i have them now ultimately um uh going into um into your career with the family life, um, do you, looking back on it now, again? I mean, I like to talk about no regrets, but I think there's always that little kernel in the back of our minds. Do you think that that, uh, ultimately, I mean, you sit there and you go, hell yeah, I made the right decision, no questions asked. Do you ever consider like what would have happened if, if you had gone to seminary, if you had chose the military? So,
1: as far as the question, like, you know, if I'd have gone to seminary once upon a time, you know, years ago, I kinda I kinda thought about that and I was like, but now I think I've just become so salty, I cannot <laughs> even I can't even <laughs> comprehend myself, you know, like filling that role. Being being a man of the cloth. Right. Just <laughs> like
0: yeah, so I was baptized Catholic, but I was raised Lutheran. And one thing I appreciated about being Lutheran is that my pastor uh, was married with kids. And I, I felt like I, I could get on a level with him rather uh, being, again, I was, you know, a teenager. So he could get on a level with me because I knew that he'd been where I was mm-hmm. to at least to some extent. Right. Like, uh, uh, I knew that, uh, that he understood and he would always say that, uh, the man never cussed uh, a day in his life. Right. But he would always say that my dad handled all the swearing for him because they lived right <laughs> next door to us growing up <laughs> So right. I can, and I can appreciate, uh, uh, a, a, a religious leader with a sense of humor. So you know, it, it always helped, uh, having a religious leader that, or a pastor, uh, that, that could smoke a joke with you a little bit. Mm-hmm.
1: And, and as for the military, yeah, that, that one's a little bit more frequent. Like, Oh man, you know, um, one, one of the things that, um, it gets me that little jealousy bug where we work, uh, the guys over Davis month are always overhead mm-hmm. with F-35s and those A-10s. I look up I'm like, if there is anybody who's having more fun at their job on any given day, it's probably them. And so I got a little bit of jealous. Like, oh, maybe huh? could have been an A-10 pilot. That, that, that seems pretty cool. Yeah. But, um, no, uh, as, as far as, as far as regrets, I mean, I'm happily married. I got my two little dudes and, I, I can't imagine life without him. And, uh, you know, what I, 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 cannot even come up with what I would trade for that. You know what I mean? Oh, so, absolutely. Yeah. No, I, in, in that regard, I absolutely made the right choice.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I, I would, for myself, I would agree with you. And I, I speaking honestly and candidly, I would say that it really, I mean, until my son came along, cause I always thought like, Oh, I'll inconvenience my wife, but she'll be okay. I'll well, you know, just, if something happens in and, and law enforcement, like I'll just go join the military and we'll go get stationed in Florida because that's her least favorite state. And that's probably because the humidity. So that's mm-hmm. probably where we're going to end up. Uh, but but just in the last, I mean, my kid's almost a year and a half old, man. And just in that last year and a half, again, being being honest about it, like I'm not not one goddamn thing I would trade. I just, I, I can't do it. Like you, you sit there and you think, you know, I already, to a certain extent, feel fairly selfish because I got my dream job. Right. I am I am being of service to somebody. Um, but but at what cost? I mean, I have to imagine that my wife, especially through last year uh, and, and, you know, your family, this hell, everybody who's got a law enforcement officer in their family tree last year, probably maybe not everybody. I know somebody's cousin was an asshole to him, you know. But that's neither here nor there. Uh, I'm sure, but uh, there there had to have been a, at the very least just a teensy weensy bit of stress right yeah. on the on the half of the family, um, and we're out there. I remember last year when when I got called out of my day off, got called out for for riot stuff what came to mind was the scene in black hawk down when he's like irene mm-hmm. fucking irene and i was like yeah let's go do this like gas mask pr24 side handle baton 40 millimeter let's do right. this Rah! and uh, now i sit there and i'm like yeah no i'm good i don't need to go to that today you guys can fucking find someone else like i don't nope don't want any part of this uh this isn't as fun as i thought it was going to be <laughs> you yep.
1: know well like you mentioned that though and uh that does remind me of, of one, I'm not going to call it a regret, but sort of a, uh, not even sure the, the, the right word to put on it, but um, like when it was all kicking off and, you know, like we knew like, okay, this is going to be serious and it's it's going to blow back on all of us and like everybody was, you know, getting on that footing or whatever. And, um, I was like, I, 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 I had a hard time sort of wrapping my head around, like, this job that I enjoy, this, you know, this path that I've chosen, like, is it going to blow back on my family? You know, um, I mean, I, I I live in a decent enough area. I mean, it's, it's Arizona, right? So, you know. if a a bunch of shitheads start tearing through neighborhoods out here, they're probably not going to get very far. No, they're they're not going to make it past the first street. Exactly. (laughs) As opposed to, you know, like, you know, places without guns, without second amendment. But, um, you know, there's the the question is there like, you know, like I I'm all about this, you know, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm in it, but not my family, man. Like Mm -hmm. this is, this is like, this is really kind of hitting too close to home when, when some of this, some of this shit Especially the, the doxing. Oh yeah. Um, yep. You know the the pulling your information and and putting you on blast, your family on blast. Lighting like, the driveway. You know, like on I'm fire, I'm out right. here I'm out here doing my job, and then, my, you know, like my family is at home. I'm not there, you know, and like that that really more than anything. Um. So it didn't it didn't. Kick, it didn't. It didn't make me regret, but at the same time, you know, like you've mentioned with any number of your guests before, I started looking around. It's like, all right, go back to school, get mm-hmm. an advanced degree. Private
0: like, sector all of a sudden doesn't look that bad. Like you know, <laughs> let me. If this
1: gets really crazy, and like I kind of want some options so I can dip out and preserve the integrity of my family and not have them go through this because i signed up for it but they didn't
0: yeah absolutely there i my, i remember uh uh when i was like going through the hiring process my brother-in-law uh, he and my sister I have three kids and um i don't know how we got on the topic if it was just like a you know or kind of a random like you know like pop into existence conversation but he told me and this is like i don't know 2015 2016 uh and he was like yeah i and understand. I mean, 2015. We're only a year removed from from uh, like Ferguson, Missouri, uh, and, and he told me he's like, "Yeah, I do not want any of my kids to be cops." And at the time, I was like, what, "Like, what the fuck, man? Like, there's like nobility in our profession." And and I I still let me just put this. I still believe that what we do is extremely noble. Like, you are willing to write a blank check up to and including your life um, for somebody you've never fucking met. Uh, right and you are there to truly, um, I don't know, I don't know one cop that I've encountered who is in it for the power trip, who is in it to have command over somebody who is in it because fuck yeah, guns and fast cars and blah, blah, uh, you're high. If you think your Tahoe is going to go 127 miles an hour, like it's advertised, it's nope. just not, it's not going to fucking happen. Not, not on those government brakes. I wouldn't recommend it. <laughs> yeah, man, you get it, you get
1: a Tahoe up to, up to that speed and-
0: I put a Tahoe at 98 miles an hour once. Uh, shaking all yeah, over the place. no, I, I was I was on my way to a shooting. I'm <laughs> like, just in case IA is listening, I I was driving with due regard for public safety with my emergency lights and sirens activated. Mm-hmm. The traffic conditions were basically non-existent because it was like one o'clock in the morning. No, I thought I was re-entering the atmosphere. Yeah, right. Like this is uncomfortable <laughs> for me. Uh, I'm. This is how I die. Is in this. Shitty 2015 Tahoe that has just been ridden no. hard constantly. <laughs> well, at least your Tahoe's been ridden hard on the pavement. That's a fair statement. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's not
1: lifted. It doesn't have it doesn't have BFGs, and it's not been just you know. Yeah, no, it's still around off road. It's still
0: quote unquote. And this is not a dig on Chevy. <laughs> all right, this is every police car manufacturer. Like I'm sure when it comes off the factory line, it performs as advertised. After like eh, three or four weeks, maybe not so much. Uh, but no, we <laughs> ended up, uh, uh, helping out a local agency to the South of us, uh, which is open desert. And, uh, yeah, I don't think that Ford Explorer had ever touched a dirt road before I had to drive it that day. <laughs> it, was a, it was a whole different world. Uh, yeah, there's, there's a handful of stories. Uh, uh, those of you that I work with that have high centered to Tahoe in the middle of the desert, you know who you are, um. Uh, but, hey, shout-out to you guys for getting it unstuck and getting it back to the city where that poor little car belongs.
1: Good so, question on that note. I mean, probably don't high-center a whole lot of vehicles, but um, if you do or something equally boneheaded, do they owe donuts? Because where I work, that's donuts, or depending so, on your shift pizza.
0: I think it I think it depends on the team. Um, I will say what you're guaranteed to get is that is all that's going to be discussed for the duration of your time with that patrol team. Like you could have, I mean, saved the old lady from the burning building, pulled the cat (laughs) out of the tree. You high center a fucking vehicle. Oh yeah. Or you, uh, my claim to fame with my graveyard patrol team in 2018, uh, was we were all sitting in an empty bank parking lot. We'd had like an alarm call there. Um, I mean, it was just like a malfunctioning alarm and we're all sitting there just chit-chatting, you know, like like three o'clock in the morning, right? It's the witching hour. The bars are closed and it was I think it was probably like a Monday. So, I mean, nobody was really out doing any shenanigans, right? Uh, Middle of the night. And uh, we get a call for a guy who is supposedly going to jump off of a nearby overpass. That's not the case. He was drunk and thought he was walking on the street is ultimately what happened. I never made it there because I threw my Tahoe and drive and proceeded to accelerate into a concrete light pole in an empty parking lot. That would be donuts. That would be done. Yeah. See, <laughs> see, I'd be nope. broke. I actually, well, maybe not me, but per, certainly people that I know. I, I
1: bought my fair share when I first got in.
0: Yeah. We'd be, we'd be needing to hit the gym cause we'd all have some, yeah. some weight issues from our power rings. So, uh,
1: the, the the best one though. They are the, the most donut worthy um that I can think of. Uh so everybody in Arizona knows that when it rains out here in the summer, it pours monsoons come through and um the these these dry creeper edge of the washes, they start running and a lot of places where I work, they're, they're just sandy bottoms. And that's something you don't mess with, especially nope. when it's still coming down, man. But um there was one guy He's driving a raptor that day. We once upon a time fairly capable like, off road yeah, right? vehicle. Well, well and, and also like those are kind of nice trucks, right? Well, he decides to go for it and um you get stuck and Mother Nature, she don't care. She don't I mean she don't give a shit. <laughs> that thing was buried. Like there's I think there's actually pictures of it floating around on the internet. That thing was
0: buried. All you could see is a roof. <laughs> We we've all had, we've all had our days, right? We one of my FTOs was, uh, was going to draw, and this is not to shit talk, uh, this particular FTO, uh, who has still never told me this story directly. Like even when I was like under his wing, I have to get the story from the other FTOs Mm -hmm. and he's on his way to like meet with another agency for a warrant handoff or something along those lines. Um, because I've heard, and this is how I, I know I need to go to him directly. Um, because it's like he was out looking for somebody without his headlights on to like sneak up on him, or he was going to meet another agency for a warrant handoff and being polite and professional working in the middle of the night, shut your headlights off and you're going to meet with another police officer. Like you don't want to destroy their night vision. That's a safety issue. (laughs) Um, uh, and he proceeds to, uh, drive without his headlights on slow speeds and ends up in a canal and has to like crawl out like NASCAR style out the window. So, yeah, but I don't know that he, uh, he bought donuts, um yeah, I don't know man. It's uh that is funny though, I should start trying to bring that back yeah, right like like in the event that the universe decides that I ever need to be a supervisor, which uh, <laughs> um, it'll be a requirement, if you do something fucking boneheaded, uh you get to buy donuts the next day. I did have a supervisor say that uh if you requested a day off, it was uh I think it was a, two slices of pizza and a drink, so seemed like a pretty fair trade off, you know right. But, uh, yeah, no, we've, (laughs) I'm sure we we could go on and on about car. I think the favorite one that I've got was the, not even a police vehicle was a tow truck driver, right? Flatbed tow truck. Come take this, uh, drunk driver car out of a, like, uh, you know, those medical office complexes. Mm -hmm. This dude had plowed his like Nissan Versa up a curb through like a hundred yards of grass plowed through the ad, like the, you know, the sign that like all of the offices are, you know, um, and this tow truck driver decides that he's going to. Oh, and this is the dead of winter, which in Arizona, I mean, it is what it is. It does rain here on occasion, right? And it gets damn cold at night. Uh, tow truck driver decides to put his entire flatbed tow truck on the grass. Oops. Yep. And he proceeded then to uh, go through the whole motion. Gets this little Nissan Versa up on the bed, and go I ahead, am
1: add some more weight. Add to the back some more the weight back. to the back of the truck. <laughs> Why
0: not? <laughs> Fuck it. And I am watching his truck just sink. And his supervisor comes out in one of the, like the Dodge Ram pickups with just the little, uh, like the I think they call them like the Scorpions or whatever on the yeah. back of it. Um, and this dude is just, he's looking at me, and I'm like, I don't, bro, I've been a cop for like 48 seconds. I have no idea what you wanted me to tell this guy, and I'm certainly <laughs> not a tow truck driver. And uh, uh, kudos to that supervisor with the Dodge. With that Dodge, he pulled that big ass truck and the Nissan Versa out of the grass, uh, and they fucked that grass up. It was, I was like, God, I hope they don't run a police report request because they're going to think that I caused this. so, um, throughout your, how long you've been doing this job coming up on 10 years, coming up on 10 years. Um, if you had to go back to, uh, uh, baby police officer, right. When you're shiny, brand new in the academy, do you think there's it? If you had to give like one piece of advice, do you think you have something that you might say to yourself 10 years ago?
1: um probably would have bought myself just a little bit more time when it was a lesson I I learned quick um maybe not quick enough so if I could tell you know day one I shut your mouth and listen
0: that's a you know, good lesson just
1: I mean it is not it's not even it, it didn't even necessarily have to be the shut your mouth part but like really listen just just listen absorb and and learn everything you know listen to uh, from everything just how the how the station dynamics are you know so you can navigate that all the way down to you know you're at a traffic stop with a guy who's been doing this for years and years and years. just listen how he talks to the driver. Mm-hmm. Um, just pay attention. open your eyes, open your ears, pay attention, and learn lessons from everything you see because there are lessons to be had yeah, from everything you've seen here.
0: absolutely. I, I yeah I couldn't agree more with that man that's a that is a good lesson uh for those of you newbies going out there you uh you boots or rookies or whatever people are calling you nowadays uh I, listen to those words there's your first lesson right there you get uh you get you get a freebie on that one listen then when you go to the academy, <laughs> just keep on listening then when you hit the first patrol team, I had an officer tell me once uh the academy teaches you. Uh, like the basics of being a cop, you actually learn how to be a cop when you hit like your first patrol team. It depends on how long you're with that. Team. You know, if you're only with them for like three weeks, you know. But the the first time you're with a team for like a full year, and it's you know you've got some senior officers on there, that's where you're gonna learn kind of the nuts and bolts of the job. Um, you know, you got like I my first time, you know, first team out of the gate, I had a guy who I swear could turn a murder into a civil issue. <laughs> 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 Not saying it was right, but damn it all to hell if it didn't save me some paperwork every right. now and then. <laughs> and so shout out to that guy uh, who shall remain nameless, uh, although I, I'm pretty sure he is retired. But just in case, right. uh, uh, So we've we've talked about your career a little bit, um, but how I got uh, I almost said turned on to you, and I haven't known you long enough to say that. Um, maybe next. Maybe next week. I don't know. Who knows? Maybe after a couple glasses of whiskey. But uh, I'm sitting here staring at this really fucking cool double handcuff carrier that you brought me. And thank you for that. Absolutely. Um, what? So I'm, I'm establishing a precedent here. Now now all your guests have to bring you
1: gifts, right?
0: Yes. Yeah. That's actually <laughs> new rule. New rule. New rule. Uh, you heard it here. If you are a an in-person guest on the pod. Andrew's like my first in-person guest. I'm looking up at the flag. I don't think I have a January Chief Thomas from PCSO. That was the last, January 3rd was the last in-person guest that I had. COVID, you bitch. Um, With getting people uh, out to Arizona. Hopefully we're going to start turning that around a little bit more and and get some more in-person folks. But yeah, if you are uh, coming to my humble abode, uh, I will get you a glass of whiskey. And you come with a gift. I'll even give you more gifts. Uh, Andrew's got like a whole little like like a goodie bag here. It's like going to a seven year old birthday party. It's like right. amazing. There's stickers there. I, I should get some of those like water tattoos,
1: <laughs> the temporary <laughs> ones. On yeah.
0: <laughs> that always, <laughs> no matter how long, like you press and press and press, and you use the hot water and the whole nine yards. You follow the instructions like to the letter, and then you peel it away, and you only get half the yeah, fucking tattoo. Yeah, right. It looks like crap. Yeah. Oh man. Um, but uh, I, I I have a sneaking suspicion. Uh, that I might be able to guess at the why, but what led you down the road of starting to to craft your own equipment? So I've always, I've
1: always had sort of a passion for that. Um, you'd actually have to go all the way back to my teenage years. So it predates law enforcement. Predates law enforcement. Absolutely. So growing up, like I, mentioned before i've always sort of had an interest in like things military or whatever and um during my teenage years i played airsoft
0: okay that's okay and there's no shame here no, this and, is a safe you know, space you know, like
1: no uh, I, i'm f- i'm fully ready to justify it and as a matter of fact i was gonna say like that that contributed like i really enjoyed it i got into it um and uh you know incidentally i was i was just listening to like a marines react Video earlier today came across my you know youtube rabbit hole and like the, the big issue people have with airsoft and I, I completely agree as a matter of fact i at least for now got out of the the sport for the reason people take it way too seriously it's, it's a game yeah you know um i will argue that properly applied there you can get training value out of it i mean i believe that um sims you know and to include airsoft is uh underutilized as a training tool absolutely but, um you know, that's 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 not what you're normally talking about when people talk about Airsoft. Anyway, so I did that, uh, played that, enjoyed that, um, and I kind of just got bit by the year bug as a teenager, um, carried it all the way through, and uh, it was a good number of years, you know, buying and selling
0: and looking around. And I You mean, bought way too much Condor equipment, just like the rest of us, yeah, yeah.
1: So I, I actually took it took it easy on a Condor. I <laughs> learned early on uh, a, a mantra that I kind of stick with you. You buy once, cry once. Yeah, yeah. It's a hard um, lesson to learn. Yeah, right. You know, your you, you seams start to split or you know whatever. Um. So I still spent way too much
0: money. You know? Yeah, well,
1: yeah. you know, like I have a. It, I mean, right now I have a business justification for it, but uh, my
0: my garage just. Every cop's got a fucking Tupperware bin in their garage just filled with shit they don't use anymore. My wife would love it if it was just a Tupperware bin. (laughs) (laughs) You know, so, you know,
1: buying and selling gear like my first, my first piece of gear was a knockoff um, South African. I think it's M83 rig it's the it's the one that mad max wore in fury road okay it's like i i have a weak spot for that rig I actually years ago i i bought one never wore it because i mean it's not really a, a law enforcement rig right um it, it even it shipped to me with like little little piles of south africa in the pockets um <laughs> and then
0: uh murder hornets that's yeah. okay we're gonna <laughs> i can murder hornets um
1: just all the all the different types of gear I had, and then when I when I got into this job, which is a very unique hybrid of law enforcement and military, because you know the the environment we work in, our interdiction oriented mission, um, neither law enforcement nor military. Really suits our needs. Like you go in, you get a you can get a chest rig because it's super hot out in the in the desert in Arizona. And you know, um, as I expressed it to to one person, um, a too much armor is more likely to kill me in 120 degrees yeah. than it will save me. You know, because. I couldn't even tell you the amount of times I've been on the, on the ragged edge of just being burned out and that never been in any gunfights. You know what I mean? So it's sort of like a probability thing. Right. Um, But if you go and you get the military gear, that is more oriented for working out in a, uh, you know, the, the, the rough environment like that, just mags all across the front. You know, there's no place for, your, your taser, there's no place for your cuffs, no place for, you know, all your little admin stuff, your, you know, your notebook, your Miranda car, like, you know, um, so military stuff is for military, and law enforcement, I mean, you know, like, you're, you're set up, I saw your vest on the way in, you're not set up to be away from your car in 120 degrees oh, for three out. hours at a time. No,
0: that is to, like, clear a building and be done with it. Exactly. So, well, like
1: I, I work in this unique uh, gr- in, in between area that um, there's nothing really for. And so that's what ultimately I started. Um, it started by kind of piecemealing stuff together. And then um, like I took uh early on in my career, I had a, an Eagle active shooter rig and then I basically cut and spliced the camel back onto that. But um you know, there were shortcomings with that. And I would just, I mean, I've, I've gone through so many different iterations and just like straight up gear whore. And then I like, you know what, let me go ahead and get a sewing machine and just start coming up with some of these solutions myself. Cause there's nothing out there. There's nothing out there that exactly what I need. So I started, I got a old school Kenmore from a little lady off Craigslist. Um, Fairly quickly realized that the multiple levels of uh, multiple layers of um, webbing and cordura and stuff that I needed to so sew were just going to choke that machine. So at this point, I had already started uh, a page about gear on the job. For a while, it was gear and the job, but then I shifted focus besides the fact that, um, you know, I'm not the public affairs guy or whatever there's plenty of other there's plenty of other places to go and find out about the job and you know i'll just leave that to them um so i shifted into a gear centric focus and then i realized like if i'm really gonna do this this machine is not gonna cut it so back to craigslist and then like seven eight hundred dollars later i brought home a console and then just kind of went from there
0: that good equipment i had a Conversation. It wasn't even a conversation. It was one of those lessons that you learn. Uh, My gunsmith, Magnum Mike, uh, out in Phoenix, off I seventeen and Dunlap, I think. You should have him on, and he has to bring you something.
1: Oh hell yeah,
0: (laughs) Mike, if you're listening. (laughs) Actually, shit, I dropped off a shotgun like a year and a half ago. You just get that thing over to me, and we'll call it even. Um, uh, But no, dude, I I rib him about the shotgun, but I am excited for the work that he's doing to it. Um, But uh, he's got. I've got my grandfather's, my my mom's dad's old drill press Mm -hmm. in my garage from like, I don't know, like the 1950s, 1960s thing runs like a top, right? Like you take care of it. It'll take care of you. And it, my kid will probably inherit that 400 pound, you know, piece of machinery. Um, the, the good equipment is often fairly expensive, it is um, it's um, that buy once cry once but again you take care of it and it'll take care of you mm-hmm. it uh so
1: it's interesting i'm not sure what exactly it drove it but it was, it was actually hard to find um you know i would it over craigslist and i could buy a new one um but uh i, th- I think it is th- there's a there's enough people with the need for like a heavy duty machine to where you know people know the value and a lot of them, you know there's not a lot of them coming up for sale so i jumped on it and um it's, uh, it served me well. It's, uh, it's a beast of a machine It you know, sounds like a machine gun when you're going at it. Um, and that was, that was all completely new to me. You know, I, uh, I knew some basics, uh, I took to YouTube. It, we live, we live in an age where it's, it's actually pretty awesome how you can learn almost anything you want to do just by Googling and looking at YouTube and, you know, so I learned some basics, um, so on. And then. Uh, all my life i've been looking at gear looking at how it was constructed um and then just sort of went about teaching myself a lot of a lot of my designs came out of either modifications or just scratch builds for my needs um, that's where that cuff pouch came from fairly early on i realized like i am i'm not doing it like i see a lot of other guys and you know they got the two cuffs like right in the smaller bag mm-hmm. like, no because this this back is going to have to last me for the rest of my life so i'm not going to sit on those two cuffs um but due to the nature of the job i three in, in my opinion for what i do three pairs of cuffs is the bare minimum because that allows you to sack up five guys and, okay, and, and, and cuff fre- one to the other
0: to the other to the other. Okay,
1: chain them all together, and 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 frequently we run out of cuffs. So, um, like, well, how am I gonna, you know, how am I gonna store these extra two cuffs if I'm getting off of them, you know, getting them off my belt? Like, our, you know, law enforcement these days, we just keep on getting stuff added to our belts, and um, that ends up being a major problem when you have to take that belt around your hip up a mountain
0: sure like it, yeah.
1: it it gets old real fast you know you start you can you can feel you can feel your body having to do extra work because you got all that crap around your hips so i looked around and like there's there's no low profile double cuff pouch out there just there is none there's there's not very many double handcuff pouches out there period so that is the origin of this like you know let me work with this stretchy elastic material and just saw, uh, something to where I can store and access two pairs of cuffs on, you know, like a,
0: a M4 shingle footprint. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's not going to take up uh, a whole shitload of room. Like you said it, I mean, that is the size of basically like an AR mag. Yeah. Uh, And it turns
1: out that I was, I was not the only one with that problem and that that's sort of where, what, what, uh, Spurred the business. Right. You know, um, I, I really didn't expect that thing to sell like it has. Yeah.
0: Um, All it takes is one thing, man. One, yeah. one good idea. Right. But
1: um, some of the other, uh, some of the other designs and, and a lot of them are just still bouncing around in my head because it's a good problem to have, but I'm, I'm constantly filling orders. So my, my time, my limited time, cause I have, you know, 50 hours a week at work and right. two toddlers at home. Um, is going to to getting products out there. I uh, there, there's not a whole there's a, not a whole lot of people who also do the EMT component. I'm, I'm a collateral duty EMT, and um, you know we end up working in this austere environment, just way out in the middle of the desert doing doing rescues and stuff. And like what you have is what you take with you, so you really have to. To optimize that, and I love working off of ATVs. Going back to the ATV in here soon, and working working off of an ATV, you have more more uh, capacity for weight and whatever. But like, you still have to optimize that, especially during the heat of, heat of the summer when we've got multiple people who need uh, you know need IVs and like all these fluids or whatever. So. That's another thing, where I just I just have to create something from scratch to fill that void because there's there's no there's no products out there currently servicing law enforcement EMTs who ride ATVs in harsh environments.
0: Yeah, well, because it, it's a it's a niche, uh, but it's it's a niche occupied by I would venture to guess uh, at least a a few hundred you know folks that have probably all run into the same issue um and and kudos to somebody uh like yourself who can identify a problem and then think up this think up a solution right the the whole point to this podcast is this i was explaining it to somebody the other day um last year when morale was shit and because that like like you know that one time we got called out fuck yeah like like Irene, let's go fucking do that. Yeah, that was one time, and anytime time after that, I was just like, "Really, we're gonna go do this again?" And I was so tired of the the reactions and and the you know, "Fuck you, cops, and your baby killers, and this, that, and the other thing, and you're just a white supremacist asshole." I was like, I can sit here and I can bitch about it, or I can, you know, talk people's ears off on a microphone, uh, and uh, that is the way that I found a solution to my problem. But again, I'm not on an uh, on ATV as an EMT. I was an EMT for four years um, prior to law enforcement. Um, but yeah, I mean, like you said, you, even with the ATV, so you're no longer a pack mule on your own two feet, but you're still limited to front rack, rear rack, right? Like, and you've got to be able that, to.
1: That's got to include my water.
0: right. Right. And, and the ATV itself is only capable of doing so much, right? You can only put so much weight on, right? You're not going to hitch up a boat to an ATV, Mm -hmm. right? You can only do so much with it. And so it's got to hold you and all of your equipment. And you, I mean, it's, it's badass that, that you have the ability to go, okay, I need this, this, and this, and this, and I need it attached securely or I need a way to carry it. Okay. Now I'm going to go, that's my problem. I'm going to go work the problem.
1: And then the, the other part of that is, um, know, I, I don't know what uh, you or most of your listeners have in terms of setup. I don't know if you guys get allowances you can take to L.A. police care or whatever, but ours is all contract, and a lot of it is
0: so weird. The government used the lowest bidder? That's right? so strange. Right? <laughs> um, <laughs> who, who would have thought that?
1: <laughs> and that was actually sort of the origin of the page back before I started the business. I'm like, you know, I'm a gear whore, and I spent you know all this time and money on, figuring out a better way to set myself up to do this job. Like I get asked at the station, like, Oh, what's that about? You know? And uh, so I'll share that, you know, and um, that that whole thing came from, like I mentioned a few minutes ago, like a senior guy once said to me, is like you're the only one who's going to have to deal with a bad back when you're retired. Like the agency isn't going to have to. So like if if you're saying that you got to think outside the box for your, you know, your duty belt to, to cut down on that, you know, pinching your sciatic nerve or, you know, because you're sitting in the vehicle for how, however long, like you do that, you know. You're the only one who's going to be looking out for your health that way. Um, so that's a that's component of it, um, just trying to – minimize the wear and tear that this job has on us as well as I like to explain it like this. So you are responsible for increasing your own capability. Like a a perfect example is a reload. You can only reload as fast as you can reload. All right. The the best gear, what it's going to do, it's just not going to get in your way or the lightest gear like you can only run as fast as you can run right well we all did our best pt times and pt shorts and tennis shoes well that's not what we wear right so but but as, as much as we can close that gap with more ergonomic gear gear that fights you less gear that drains your gas tank less like all of that is well worth it to me um i was talking with another agent and uh you know i pointed out like look i spend more time in this gear and I am doing my bed, you know, like when you think about it that way, you put it into perspective, like it's definitely worth it optimizing to, to hurt you less, to fight you less, to wear you down less. So.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and, you know, and likewise you do your best, uh, your best work in, in, on the DT mat in shorts and a t-shirt, right? I mean, how many times you throw a plate carrier on, You know, that that setup that I have, Uh, I'll post a picture of it up uh, with this episode um, so that you guys can see what we're talking about. It's got like a I I basically leaving the road and getting away from my vehicle that's got the rifle rack. And I had a just an active shooter bag and our patrol cars all had plate carriers in them Um, Well, leaving the road. I mean, I, I don't wear a vest day to day. I go days without wearing a vest now, which I'm not complaining. It's pretty fucking nice, uh, and the air conditioning in my office is also extremely nice. <laughs> but in the event of an active shooter situation, like I'm still a law enforcement officer, I needed something that I could throw on where I don't have to run up to my locker and then get all my gear out of my locker. So my my plate carrier is set up with my three rifle mags. My because we're only issued a allotted a certain number of, uh, of rounds of ammunition for our rifles. My rifle's got the other magazine. I've got spot for handcuffs, spot for my body camera, um, which was, you know, we just got new body cameras. We moved away from the the Flex, which is, you know, you have the little like parrot on your shoulder, to the Body Two, which is just the battery pack and camera in one. Um, but just even before the other day, like I had not used it real world, and then I go out to go contact somebody, and that vest is the only one I've got in my car, so I throw it on, walking around like a, I don't know, a, a Tactical office jockey and my fucking chinos and my leather shoes <laughs> <laughs> and, and a polo shirt with a plate carrier on, looking like an asshole. But, uh, but you know, even then, I, I didn't don't know that I realized like, oh, holy shit! Like, if I have this side plate in with my like conceal holster, I can't fucking can draw can my check. gun. Right. Like, hmm. There's a there's a lesson I don't want to have to figure out the hard way.
1: Um, you know, and that's that's actually another thing that I had, I had wanted to
0: lear, learning those lessons
1: by buying the wrong thing that gets expensive let oh, yeah. me tell you and that, that was another thing I had wanted to do like you know guys I'm I'm here and I'm I'm buying and selling and flipping all this gear all the time anyway like let me save you guys like a little bit of money by sharing what does work and what doesn't work you know what I mean um because I've, I've been there too like uh, I carry an expanded ifac. Because because I'm an EMT, I got my basic IFAC, but I plus it up, and that is in a uh, shock concepts raid pouch, a little, little dangler with a, a quick disconnect, and I had that on the uh, the plate carrier that I was wearing when I was on that road crew that I mentioned. We were in plain clothes, unmarked, whatever, and I'd throw on the vest whenever it was party time. Well, there was there was one day when. We went to go work a bailout and I had been in plain clothes mode. I threw that on. I still had my appendix holster in and I threw that vest. I'm like, Oh shit.
0: <laughs> Fuck. My this gun, is, gun, my gun is buried. Yeah. My gun is
1: buried <laughs> under this, you know, this dangle. Like this is, this is a bad idea, you know? So I fixed that with a quickness, but um yeah, like up until you actually get it out and, and work with it, like you don't know how, it's going to feel or um, different different bits of gear will interact or you realize that something something snags all the time. You never really thought it was going to snag. Um, you guys probably don't do a whole lot of beating the brush, but let me tell you, brush will grab a hold of anything that is not. I believe
0: out. it, man. I mean, you spend any amount of time, even, even hiking, camping, like mm-hmm. you go and you go, you know hike back to a camping spot and you get all your gear on your backpack and you're like, Oh, okay. I'm going to duck under this. No, I'm not going to duck under that tree anymore. Like that's not going to work right now. Yeah,
1: Arizona is full of what I like to call asshole plants. <laughs> I had a, had a bunch of my friends out and we went on a camping trip and they're just like remarking how like everything has, you know, spines, spines and thorns. So like, and yeah, Arizona was just full of asshole plants. So to go
0: to, to tell a funny, uh, self-deprecating story a little bit to go back to airsofting too, uh, myself and three buddies, uh, and I won't publicly shame them or name them. We used to go out in the <laughs> middle of the desert in the middle of the night because this made sense to us at mm-hmm. like 16, 17, 18 years old that we're going to go out in the middle of the desert with airsoft guns that quite frankly, I mean, especially now from the law enforcement perspective, like, yeah, they look pretty fucking real. Like some of them are, our, you know, metal, steel construction. We've got fucking optics and lights mm-hmm. and all sorts of shit. But we would, you know, one person would would run and the other three would chase them. Uh, and we had this girl with us who didn't want to participate. I can't figure out why that was you know <laughs> so strange that she but she just stayed in uh, in my truck. and we're out in the middle of the desert and we hear this like blood curdling scream. and so we go fucking hauling balls like all of us running back to this truck with our airsoft guns because we're like we're gonna stop whatever's happening. Um, and I run full force into a suwarrow. And for those of you who don't live in Arizona, the swallowros are the ones that look like they're waving at you and they are all like 100,000 years old, um, and their their uh, thorns are like two to three inches long. Uh, yeah, that was extremely uncomfortable. Turns out the blood-curdling scream uh, wasn't her. It was a fucking coyote, So, uh, which, again, for those of you not playing the home game, uh, coyotes do scream, especially when there's a pack of them. It sounds super unnerving, and if you've never heard it before, it's an experience to wake up to in the middle of the night. Yeah, it is. <laughs>
1: or when you're know you're out tracking any number of people who, with unknown intentions. Like you're the only one for miles around and, you know, like you, your, your, your senses start to, you start to pick up on all these sounds and you're getting tuned in. Cause like you, you're in hunter mode, right? Yeah. But, hyper aware. But then all of a sudden, you know, just like they just let loose, you know, like, you know, like I've, I've heard it a hundred times before, but like they'll still catch you by surprise. Like, Oh shit. You know, kind of made my, blood run cold there for a second.
0: Yeah. First time I ever heard coyotes (laughs) screaming was down in Sarita on a construction site. And, uh, I was like, what in the hell? And some guy was like, coyotes, dude. I'm like, yeah, no, not. I mean, I may live in Arizona, but we don't see a whole lot of wild coyotes in the middle. I lived in North Phoenix at the time. Like we don't see a whole lot of coyotes in North Phoenix guys. Like not, not where I was like in some parts of North Phoenix. Sure. But certainly not, not in the area that I was at, uh, say you get a you get a magnifying glass or a, rather a telescope or magic eight ball whatever the fuck you want to use you know five ten years down the road what's the goal with austere tac med do you do you want to keep moving in with gear Are you hoping to get into some training uh to work and and you know expand and teach so
1: i had actually toyed with the idea of starting up a little training operation on my own um before going into the gear business and my, my, my thought there was a target, another sort of niche industry. So um, I've had the opportunity to, I mean, train with some, some awesome guys to come out here to Arizona put on classes or whatever. And it's absolutely worth it. But that's based on what I do for a living. And then on the other spectrum there's, you know, your bare minimum offered at the local gun range to get your, uh, CCW. But there's, there's, it seems like there's something in the middle missing for like your everyman. you know, like a little bit more than just, you know, you're, you're safe enough not to be a liability with a gun. You're not going to shoot yourself in the leg, but well shy of, you know, taking a class with Pat McNamara. Um, and I was looking at for a while, at like filling that niche. But I ultimately decided like, you know, there's uh there's a lot of people far more qualified for that kind of thing. who have already saturated that market. Um, so I kind of put that on the, the back burner. And really to start out like austere tech made was the thing. I was like, I'm kind of getting my hobby to pay for itself. Yeah, sure. You know, and that that was that was really my goal to start out like, man, as long as as long as this can feed my addiction for more Cordura, you know, that way I'm not having to constantly go like, babe, I'm sorry, I bought another play carrier, you know. Yeah,
0: hey, I know the dogs <laughs> need food and the kids need formula, but uh, check out this Cry JPC that I right. got, huh?
1: <laughs> and like that 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 worked well, and it kind of it kind of grew. Um and now like at the at the very beginning, like into the last year, the very beginning of this year, um, there was a little bit of lull. I'm gonna be honest, there's like a little bit of lull in traffic and I was like, oh man, maybe I should just you know hang it up and not really invest much more time or energy into this. but then I'm not sure what what clicked it, it could well be that we all, kind of had a little bit more bandwidth freed up because last summer shenanigans went away and the election was over and like, you know, so maybe we all had a little bit more bandwidth. Um, but it, it picked up and I started having the opposite problem. Like, man, my, you know, I'm, I'm getting orders and I'm, I'm starting to be in the hole, you know, mm-hmm. and it's a good problem to have. So now I'm trying to, I mean, I'm in a place where I never actually thought I would be where like, you know, what can I do to farm, farm out some of the the more common items to a show shop? And, you know, like in terms of intellectual property, like I've had multiple people like, dude, you got to patent that. Otherwise, the, you know, some, some show shop out of China is going to start knocking it off and undercutting you on Amazon. Like, I know, I know, um, you know, so, but that's like an intellectual property lawyer and patent and non-disclosure and like all this and is a little bit overwhelming because this is not my forte man right like uh i I joke all the time that once upon a time like when i was in college i was smart but then (laughs) but then i got this job where i stare at dirt for a living and um and now like any cerebral activity taxes like all three of my brain cells so (laughs) it's yeah it's like it's new territory for me and one of the nice things about running the the business, the way I do off of an Instagram page, like that's the, that's, I mean, guys can come up to me, you know, at the station. And now that more and more guys are starting to have my gear at the station, you know, I'm having more and more guys approach me like, hey, yeah. can, I, can I get one? Like, okay, I'll put you on the list. But um,
0: it's a captive audience, right? In, uh,
1: in, Instagram, just the way that all the algorithms work, whatever, the more active you are, the more people see your stuff. So I kind of get a little bit on the hole. I can go quiet, you know, just like, like you shake up a pop and you, and then you screw it back on, mm-hmm. screw it back on. So that's I can kind of use it like a pressure relief valve to keep from getting way behind because, um, I'm real conscientious about I, I want to get people's orders turned around to them quick, you know. But I got to balance that with uh, my my demands on the job, my demands at home, you know, uh, my my two little dudes. That, Toddlers are time consuming, dude. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, it. I love my kid, man, and it's 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 cracking me up every day. He does something new, mm-hmm. um, and and I I just start laughing at him, man. Except the other day, so he's you know when they he's he's just recently learned how to walk, like within the last I don't know five six weeks or so, and you know he's like a tiny little drunk human, mm-hmm. right that you'd see on, you know, at any number of bars or any number of weird, you know, mill Avenue and Tempe streets. Um, (laughs) And, uh, and he fucking took a header right into my groin on Monday. That wasn't that much fun. Um, And they are, they are demanding They're We call him a kind of a tiny terrorist Mm -hmm. because he makes all sorts of demands. Uh, You have no idea what his demands are because you can't understand them. Uh, And, and he just seems, he seems fairly angry from time to time. And I know he's just, you know, He's just doing his toddler thing, right? Like every toddler does, but it is exhausting.
1: My little guy, who's about the same age, uh, he's he's been growing himself a few more teeth.
0: Uh, oh, the past oh, week
1: or so. Yep. I mean, he he was a savage before. But ooh.
0: my kid bit me today just before you got here <laughs> and I took him up to bed and I was I was carrying him up the stairs. He likes to try to go up the stairs himself. And we do let him like, you know, with it's like having a like a, a repel team, like right behind him. Right. Type of thing. Um, but it was like, like, oh, no, like, we got an interview coming. Like, I mean, I'm just, just going to carry him upstairs and get it over with. And he, uh, my wife was coming up behind him like, oh, I'm going to get you. I'm going to get you. And he like giggled and laughed and then just latched onto my nipple. And it was extremely, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, yeah, it was uncomfortable. It hurt. He's got sharp little fucking teeth, yeah. man. It's like a little alligator chomping down.
1: But um, actually, to, to, to kind of tie a number of threads that we've talked about together, um, when I made my decision that I was going to go into seminary and I was going to have a family like, Law enforcement is going to be my career, but it's not going to be, like, my my vocation, right? So as much as I love bombing around on the desert and, and on TV, playing hide-and-seek, or as much satisfaction as I get out of, you know, making that extra gear or beer money and, and helping guys get set up with their kit, like, the, that is my actual focus, my wife and my sons. And that is, that is my vocation, and so that's got to take that has the preeminent demand upon my time. And and that's a balancing act. Absolutely. It's a balancing act. And um, I can't even imagine like we didn't, I'm I'm not even going to go into how our overtime works. Like we're, we're super, super busy right now, but um, it was nothing like, you know, all you guys on the streets did last summer, which is not like week upon week, seven day stretches, um and i can't even imagine you know having that that kind of demand on your time and having to play that balancing act and and let's be real like one of the, the 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 thing that always gets left out the 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 short end of the stick is always us yeah you know whether it's it's sleep or downtime or pt or whatever but you know um like as EMTs right when you when you went through or even as law enforcement, like you you yeah, you have to take care of yourself, otherwise you're no help to anybody and you can become a liability, you know. So it's just an insane balancing act. And I think that's really gonna dictate the pace at which austere mm-hmm. tech med grows. I would love to be able to um, like I said, to farm out production for some of the, the more common something, you know, stuff that's kind of flying off the shelf. I, I love custom work. I love that the design component of it. Um, you know the the administrative, the business, and the paperwork, and you know processing square payments, and you know doing self employment taxes, and like all that. You know that it is what it is. I don't necessarily enjoy that, but um, I'm I'm excited. I want uh, I'm looking into some art for some shirts, and I do want to grow the brand, but I got to be careful to grow it at a pace that is sustainable, that is fair to my customers while also acknowledging the, all these demands on my time.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I like the way that you put it, man, that, that your, your mm-hmm. wife and your kids are your vocation. I, uh, to be honest, I'd never really thought about it like that. When I got into law enforcement, I was very much this like hard line, like this isn't a job, it's a career. Like you might as well have put me on a, like, ripped a poster and, and turned it into 3d form. And I would, that, that was how I saw myself going into this career. But, but 40 years from now, exactly. What's going to be there. Gonna,
1: who's going to be there to say goodbye. Right. Certainly nobody from your department. You know what I mean?
0: Well, and if you it, it like if, if I had kept at it and I, I learned fairly quickly because I had a lot of mentors who had maybe learned those lessons the hard way already. Yeah. Um, uh, but, you know, you keep at it a certain way where you constantly put your your family on the back burner and oh, I'm going to go work. I'm going to go work voluntary overtime. and I'm going to go pick up shifts and I'm going to go, uh, you know, I'm going to go train with SWAT, you know, this whole weekend. And, oh, hey, I know we had this plant, this dinner plan, but no, I'm going to go and uh, do some surveillance with these. Like, yeah. eventually so, something's got to give. Right. And and it's, it's unfair and not to sound like a whiny millennial, but your family is sacrificing enough by letting you walk out the door every day you you owe it to them to give them the time back your days off need to be your days off um i i i I, what we talked about earlier about don't say what you, you know when you understand stuff Uh, I had a holster business because the Kydex holster market wasn't saturated enough as it is. (laughs) That seemed like a great idea at the age of 25 to start jumping into that. Uh, But it was it was all that business processing and I would get I I had to stop doing it because I was it was no longer fun for me. Right. You know, and it was like I was getting pissed off all the time for whatever reason. My friends feel the need to order shit in the middle of July, and they know I work in my fucking garage. It's like, come on now, guys! Okay? Like, can't can't you place these orders like November <laughs> through April, please? Like, right. my wife jokes that every six months I threaten to like sell all my shit. I've already gotten to the point where like I no longer have a business that that was over and done with. Like, I stopped making money off of that quite some time ago, and now it's just like somebody want to come along and buy all this stuff. If you want to buy a Kydex Holster business, send me an email, blue line, millennial, gmail.com. <laughs> it's 2,500 bucks for everything. I'll give you an itemized list. Um, at any rate, you can't have my grandfather's drill press. Somebody asked me for that. And no, that's, that's a, uh, uh, that's a firing offense.
1: So <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm not going to lie there, you know, like there've been times where it's like where I'm at, you know, this uh, this threat this this is threatening to not become fun anymore, and I, I do want to enjoy it. I want to, you know. So when when I when I first launched, um, egg roll over at uh, Extreme Gear Labs, he's sort of like a godfather in the industry. He quoted uh, Conan the Barbarian: "Welcome to the Tree of Woe," and. Um, <laughs> Like I said that to at, new at, cops. At, <laughs> yeah, at the, at the time I didn't necessarily, you know, like, oh, sure, I understand what you mean. Uh, no, I didn't. Um, and and I still don't fully because this is this part time and, um, you know, sort of it's it's still just moving beyond the monetized hobby sort of phase. But um, I'd be lying if I said that sitting down to that machine every time was cathartic. Sewing, I, actually, I like designing. I like the end result. I like gear. I hate sewing. It's 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 a lot of fiddly stuff, you know, like a lot of fiddly, you know, matching up and measuring and chalking and sewing Mm -hmm. and like, you know. So yeah, it's not it's not always even to that point where it's you know I'm sitting down and I'm enjoying what I'm doing and I don't want it to become a chore.
0: Yeah. I and you know it's like I may get to that point with this podcast and here I'm like staring down the barrel of starting a. I've already got the YouTube channel. There's just no content there. I, I started it all at the same time. But uh, the the irony behind it is that I was planning on, A, filming these interviews, right, and getting them up. Uh, but, B, I was going to have uh, just another show on there talking about, like, how, you know, and, and, and providing examples of how cops kind of unwind, right? So we're going, we'll... We'll film at the range. We'll go camp. We'll go fish. We'll go to the beach or whatever. But in and of itself, by doing that, I am creating work for myself. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm trying to demonstrate how I'm relaxing. Like that doesn't make a whole. <laughs> hell. That only makes sense <laughs> right. to a cop, right? right? Like, like somebody so de- you know delusional as to be like, yeah, this is how I relax. Oh man, I've got like 47 hours of footage I need to get through. Love to be relaxing right, right. now. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, I, I have to imagine that uh, that a lot of people you get to a hobby that you turn into a job, and and it does it stops being fun, right? Like, and I remember my my primary FTO Adam had told me that uh, I will stop doing this job. He goes, not necessarily at twenty or twenty five years. I will stop doing this when I stop having fun, and I try to remember that uh, uh, for myself. I mean, we're you know looking at the potential for. The disappearance of qualified immunity, which is a whole nother, I mean, we, that's, that's another hour and a half long right. conversation, uh, uh, that we could have. Um, and it's, you know, you sit there and you start to go, okay, like what are my other options? Like, cause you, you start talking about bringing quite frankly, more than likely unnecessary civil lawsuits into the mix. You want to talk about adding stress to a family. Like mm-hmm. now I've got to deal with 14 lawsuits because I had this use of force cuz this dude pulled a fucking screwdriver on me in a Walmart right. when I was trying to hook him and uh you know oh and then there was I I was on my way to a fucking fiery collision and I was going to beat the fire truck by 10 minutes because fire trucks could only go so fast it's it's a fire truck whereas I'm in this hot rod little explorer and I bust a red light and I get through it Well, somebody's paying attention to my little red and blue lights going off into the distance and they smash into a minivan. And all of a sudden the people in that minivan, well, if that cop hadn't done that, right. Well, I'm going to sue, you know, here we go. I'm going to launch into the hour. I have long conversation if I'm not careful, but yeah, you start to start everything that, that you, you know, you look at and you're like, hell yeah. Like I love to do this. You, it, it may very well get to a point where you're like, yeah, fuck. I just like everybody has that. I don't want to go to work today. Right. You stare at that sewing machine every now and then. And you're like, hmm, nah, nah, not, not today. today. Not, not today. today. I
1: need to go, you know, sip on some brown juice and exactly you know, just play video games and play whatever. video games. Yeah.
0: Exactly. Like, you you know, I, I just want to hang out with my kid. I just want to hang out with my wife. Oh, you know, OK, my wife's going to go off and do her own thing today. I'm going to hang out with little man. He's going to take a nap. OK, I've got like a two hour window. Well, I don't want to like. I don't want to go and do more work. I just got done doing an entire week's worth of work. Like I want to sit on the couch every now and then, uh, you know, not everybody can be the $6 million man all the time. Right. That's just not in the cards. So
1: yeah, I like, I like, you know
0: I like to shoot for
1: eight hours of sleep. You know, you mentioned Jocko earlier. I don't know how he does. He's, oh, I cannot He's like do sleeps that. four or five hours. I would be an absolute, you know, mess. Frank
0: Sinatra only slept. I, I I'm a huge fan of, of Sinatra and he only slept four hours a night. And there's, do it. I I Couldn't would function like there, you get these successful human beings and you're like, how the fuck are you sleeping four hours a night? I'm
1: doing the math. Like on all the things, you know, like Jocko's talking about, the, you know, he posts all those videos of him getting up and, you know, paying the man at four yeah. 30 in the morning. He's talking about work until all the black and you know, white images of his yeah, Iron Man watch. Yeah, he's, yeah. he's talking about work until 11 o'clock at night. I'm like, wait a minute. I would die.
0: Yeah. Like that. <laughs> I, I got him. Normal humans. Oh, but he's not normal. He's right. Jocko, yeah. you know, like, yeah, no, I, with this new schedule change, when I was on patrol, I worked swings. And so that was shout out to my swing shift guys out there. It was two 30 to midnight. So it was like, perfect, man. Like I'd wake up kind of more or less on my own. I didn't really need to set an alarm, wake up on my own, chow down on some food, hang out with my wife and kid for a little while. Uh, ideally he would go down for a nap. I'd go off to work to the gym, work my 10 hour shift, shower at station, head home, crash out right maybe have a have a glass of whiskey after work more frequently in 2020 than ever before <laughs> um and uh now with the schedule change th- these like bank hours it's to go from two and a half years of not really needing an alarm and having this set schedule mm-hmm. and now it's like i woke up at 5 30 today i wasn't even supposed to go to work today i'd flexed, flexed my <laughs> schedule <laughs> um but, uh, and I also like, I start, I work eight to six. And so to, to be up at 530 today, like there ain't, like what in the hell? No, I don't want to go run this morning. Like no, right. no, I don't want to do it. I want to sit here, in my bathrobe, and my slippers and drink my coffee and contemplate the meaning of life, yeah. like over a bowl of cereal. <laughs> like, I don't, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna be this, uh, you know, egg whites only, uh, over easy or, uh, you know, <laughs> with, right. with just black coffee and I'm going to drink this whole Nalgene when I wake up, right? Like, it's just, you know, we're, again, we're we're only human. Uh, we got to do the best that you can. Side note, uh, the Moderna vaccine. Yeah, I'm putting you fuckers on blast. Uh, it was like a super weird lymph node reaction and working out is a little uncomfortable right now. So <laughs> thanks for that. Um, we're not going to get into the politics of the vaccine. It was offered to me and I said, sure. That was so, you know there's your, and now this is going on the internet. And so Moderna is going to be like, no, see, he volunteered for it. We're not going to pay him out. so right. <laughs> Oh man. We are, uh, we are winding down uh, before we close out. Uh, uh, bro, you got a, you got a microphone to the world right now. Literally. I pulled the, uh, the stats last week. We got listeners uh, in, in Russia and, and parts of Europe and Australia and Brazil, uh, which is truly, it's fucking cool. cool to, to look at that. The, uh, you know, when you can look at your analytics and see, see your reach, like, oh man, that's like, damn, that is, that is just really cool. And uh, to those of you again, I mean, cool enough that some of the people that I work with entertain me by listening to my podcast. Um, but uh, to those of you that are definitely out and about in other countries, um, uh, thank you. Like that, seeing, seeing those analytics again, like that, that pushes me to keep doing this um, to just, it, it's, I don't know, Cool is is kind of an overused word, but there's really no other way for me to describe it. Similarly, if you're in Russian law enforcement, hit me up because I'd like to interview you. I have questions. I've seen some weird videos, <laughs> and I need answers, guys. <laughs> so. And also dash cam videos. And dash cam videos, yeah. Uh, Give but us your
1: best dash cam videos. Best
0: dash cam videos, or I don't think that you have, like, body-worn cameras. I don't know that that's a concept. Um, but again, it's just, like, this great big question mark over people jumping through windshields. That's That was a video I saw. And then uh, your access to automatic weapons for room clearing is another question that I have. Yeah, so. right.
1: <laughs> so, you know, I was thinking about that because you texted me ahead of time. This will give me one of the questions, and like a lot of your previous guests have really hit the nail on the head with you know, a lot of the more meaningful answers. So I thought, you yeah. know, maybe i will be a little bit of a smart ass and be like, "Well, you know, if you're doing five hundred, get out of the left lane, or uh, you know, don't don't California my Arizona." <laughs> uh, and you know, I was thinking about that, and 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 I were like, you know, those actually both. Can tie into something a little deeper. And, um, you know, know yourself and know what you don't know. Know that you don't know and know what you don't know. You know, I think that uh, a lot of our problems can be solved if people are willing to look down at the speedometer and be like, oh man, I'm doing 70 and a 75. You know, I need to fix myself, acknowledge that. You know what? It's me. I'm, I'm an asshole right now. Just bump over to the right line. It's cool to go 70 on, on I-10, but do it in the right line. Or, um, you know, like you're, you're, you're leaving California because California has become an, an untenable place for you to live. But you don't have the self-awareness to realize that the things you chose, the decisions you made in the ballot box, contributed to that. You know, and you you're writ that large. We, um, you know, we live in a society where we just uh, there's a there's a lot of people who are faking it until they make it, and I think one of the biggest negative outcomes of that is we end up lying to ourselves we don't have enough self-awareness to back up. Like, you know what, maybe, maybe I need to reevaluate priorities or reevaluate the way I look at things, acknowledge that, you know, I, I am, I'm in fact, not the Supreme being around here. Um, and, uh, just have the humility to know what you don't know and, or to know that you don't know and then know what you don't know, because there's no growth You know, we, we, I think we all probably in our lives know someone who is unteachable because they don't know that they don't know, let alone, they don't know what they don't know. You know, you have to have that, uh, that humility acknowledged, like I need to, you know, I I have learning to do in this regard. And it's very, very true of law enforcement. Um, with, uh, with some of my training cadre at my station, we've talked about like the the Dunning-Kruger effect, right? Where. You know, uh, you'll, you'll learn a little bit and then your confidence goes way up. You know, so you you get out of the academy and, you know, you've learned everything the academy has to teach you about the job. Your confidence goes way up. And some people just stop there at the high, at the peak of Mount Stupid, you know, because uh, they, they don't have the self-awareness to know that they don't know and know what they don't know. You know, I've, I've taken that journey and I'll tell you what, coming down from the peak of Mount stupid to realize like there is so much to this job and to individual components of this job, whether it be tactical awareness or um, emergency tactical medicine, whatever to know, like, man, I mean, I've, I've just gone through these classes. I have these certifications. I have these capabilities, but like, I know nothing. Mm-hmm. Like, I know that I know nothing. And that drives me to move forward to do better if more people in more aspects of their life knew what they didn't know and sought to better themselves and to change their perspective and not be you know the 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 know-it-all Facebook lawyers like that's actually a perfect example you know we have just enough information at our fingertips to make everybody dangerous because just a little bit of, you know, whether it's because you, you took a, a law class in college or, you know, your your uncle's cousin's brother's roommate was a cop and, you know, he's told you a couple of stories or whatever. Like, you get that little bit of information somehow, you know, You you, t- you take that and you don't have the introspection to know that you don't know, know what you don't know. You're your, your broadcasting opinions from the top of Mount Stupid. Yeah, and um, we we all we all need to do that. We all need to have that introspection to to know thyself, and uh, I th- I think that that would go a long way if we all did a better job of that.
0: Absolutely, I can uh, uh you know you the things you you think back on at the ripe old age of thirty, you look at just ten years ago. I can remember being a twenty year old EMT thinking I was hot shit. Uh, not even as a working professional. I was on a ride along with the fire department and I stepped on the toes of a paramedic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that happened one time. Right. <laughs> and likewise, you get out of the academy and you go into FTO uh, and you think like, fuck yeah, I got this. And then you hit that first call and you're like, nah, I don't got this so much. Like if you don't get yelled at by at least one FTO.
1: Yeah. <laughs> well, and especially in our job, it's, it is far better to go ahead and, swallow your pride and admit that you don't know and seek to fix yourself rather than to be taught just how little you know by somebody else that you're trying to you were just trying to put handcuffs on right like you know that, that as an example i know that one of my weaknesses is that that dt that ground game that bjj and i know like i i gotta i gotta make that time to get and I, I got a gracie gym just up the street i i gotta make it happen you mm-hmm. know i know that and me working to fix that knowledge could potentially save me from being taught that by someone who, you know, it, they're not going to pull any punches teaching that lesson.
0: Right. Know. No, they will give you the potentially the rest of your life to learn right. that lesson, exactly. which it does. In other words, you're not long for this world right. learning that lesson. Yeah. I had a guy one time tell me uh, that he wasn't going to do my job for me. And I was like, holy <laughs> shit. He's fucking Right. Yeah, there's, uh, I, my uh, my current supervisor likes to, one of his isms, if you will, is, uh, is what you've been saying, is you don't know what you don't know. And I, I talk a lot, especially lately, about being the professional new guy. And I think part of being the professional new guy is being humble enough to, as you've said and put so well, that, be that, be humble enough to know that, yeah, I don't know. and And don't be afraid to say, I don't know. Um, likewise, if if you do something and you get corrected by somebody, don't be pissy that they corrected you because they may know a hell of a lot more about that than you, right?
1: Well, if you if you own it and you take your ego out of it, that's it. Like nobody can say anything, you know. Like, well, you know, I screwed up or I have a deficit that I need to correct, like. What is anybody going to say? Like you've already acknowledged that there's no, there's no more humiliation or no more, there's no more grief to be wrung out of that situation because you just went ahead and you owned it.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I am thoroughly impressed by the officers that I see now who are, uh, you know, turning 21 in the academy and they are, hitting the road and they are doing a very good job. Um, uh, you see, you know, 35 year old new cops who, uh, they're not doing. Such a good job. I can look back and honestly say I had no business being a cop 10 years ago. Um, it just it wouldn't have gone well for me because I had that ego and, you know, I had that, you know, that, oh, watch, let me show you what I know. Uh, I had a great conversation with a guy in training, uh, forensic interview training. It works for a small agency uh, in uh, western Arizona and where he serves as a detective and he's also on the SWAT team. Not necessarily an ideal spot, you know, an ideal family life uh, or a, a you know a, a, a position to find yourself in. Um, he does the best that he could, but he had said that uh, you know at thirty five um, he felt that he was finally mature enough to do both of those jobs and learn how to do them really well. Right. So yeah, and I no, I again couldn't agree with you more, man. You've you've hit multiple balls out of the park tonight <laughs> well, Thanks, man. uh and and it's been uh it's been a, a pleasure uh having yeah, you likewise. on and and once i get the youtube channel up uh, uh i'll have to come out and uh either do your shop or have you bring stuff out here i do have this uh well, you l-
1: mentioned earlier that like what happens when you get that like, that early midlife crisis um i do smoke meat
0: Oh, my man. It's okay. I've got a Traeger in the backyard, bro. Like, you and me, we're cut from the same (laughs) cloth, bro. There's a bar cart full of bourbon out in the dining room and a Traeger in the backyard. Can't beat it. No. And I don't often get to smoke meats because my wife doesn't eat red meat and she doesn't like the taste of smoked chicken. Mm. So I have the grill and then the smoker is just for me, right? Which, again, I don't get to use it very frequently. My kid, up until very recently, hasn't been eating normal food. I thank (laughs) God. Now we just got to work on getting our schedules to be the same. Right. You took vacation for this? No. Oh, okay.
1: No, I uh, I actually had uh, training down in uh, Tucson today, so I also got up early. I'm a I'm a late days guy, mm-hmm. so that that I'm not about that Jocko life. <laughs> yeah. No, <laughs> but, uh, no, it was, it was good to, good to get out here.
0: Yeah, absolutely, man. Well, I've loved having you on and, uh, and like I said, we'll have you back on, uh, again, check out, uh, just to, to recap it, check out the Brian Terry foundation. What's the name of the the auction that they got going on?
1: Danger underscore zone underscore auction.
0: Danger underscore zone underscore auction. And Andrew, if people want to find you on social media, how do they do that?
1: Austere underscore tacmed. med
0: Austere tech med austere underscore tech med, uh, on Instagram. Uh, give him a follow and check out his work. Hit him up. Keep him busy, but not too busy. Just right. just right. Goldilocks busy, and don't be an asshole to him. Uh, <laughs> don't be an asshole to anybody else. Find your veterans, thank them, and sit down and listen to what they have to tell you uh, and try and internalize some of those stories. Uh, and if you are feeling super creative, ask them if you can write their stories down. Those stories are going to go away. We will lose them forever um, if if we don't get them down somewhere or video them or whatever the case may be. But at the very least, or very least, excuse me, that's, that's nearly 11 o'clock at night talking right there. (laughs) Uh, At the very least, uh, uh, do get out there and, uh, and find some good to do in the world. Uh, Again, I want to thank everybody for listening to this episode. We got more coming to you in the future for blue line millennial. Uh, Stay safe and I'll see you on the road.